You want to say something? Hey. You want to say hi? Arr. Hey. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com and Beckett. Uh, Beckett is joining me this morning. Um, we are actually uh, hanging out downstairs. It's one of the first podcasts uh, that I've actually done at home instead of on my walk. Uh, Holly and Atticus are running around doing errands and um, you know me and Beckett are just hanging out. So I figured now would be a good time to, uh, you know, to make a podcast. And guys, let me tell you all, like, I'm so thankful for this medium. Like, it's something I can just, uh, you know, pull out my phone and talk into just to kind of communicate with you all what's going on way better than just a simple tweet or, you know, Facebook message. Uh, it's a lot less cumbersome than a YouTube video. And it takes a whole lot less time than writing an article. So, um, you know, it, I, I like to use this podcast almost like a, a an audio library of you know entertainment and education, um, and also just kind of just to, you know really talk about what I have going on um, in my neck of the woods when it comes to the hobby. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that really interests that many folks. So maybe this is just kind of like a public audio diary sometimes. When it comes to uh, when it comes down to it, but uh, nevertheless, I'll uh, kind of tell you what's going on here. And uh, so, a lot of things going on. In uh, and, and by the way, I want to apologize if you hear Beckett in the background. I'll probably have to pause this every now and then, and you know, attend to him if he's getting into something he shouldn't be, or you know, if he feels like he uh, needs a little more interaction. <laughs> what's going on? Is that is that is that really frustrating you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah. Uh, yeah, so a lot of things have been going on this this last month. So to start off with, um, I'll tell you about some articles I'm writing. So the first article, um, and I've never really done like worked on two articles together, um, but this is going to be it's going to make sense for me to do two of them. Uh, the first one is going to talk about how uh, 19th century baseball cards were made because let me tell you guys, like this is crazy interesting stuff to me. And I almost feel like a responsibility. Anytime I run into something that's fascinating or interesting when it comes to 19th century baseball, um, I feel like this responsibility to tell you all about it because um, there's just so much information out there that people just don't know. And, you know, we live in this day and age of, uh, of information, of full color, multimedia, audio, video, everything like we can reach out to you know Justin Verlander to tweet he might not tweet back but you know we can we can see what he says uh is going on throughout the day oh I'm you know cooking out uh you know the backyard with uh with my wife <laughs> I don't I don't, re I don't remember what her name is but anyways uh you know and, and so like we're in a sense like like uh, uh intimately involved in a lot of these players uh, compared to what it has been in past decades. So, you know, of course, we've had television and radio for decades and decades and decades. But the reason I think why 19th century baseball is like so intriguing to me is because it's almost like a time that we forgot as a hobby, as a sport, as a fandom. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that happened and nobody really knows about because there's no full color anything like when it comes to photographs there's no audio there's no recorded video clips like you can't replay with some awesome music in the background of like uh 
you know, Bo Jackson breaking his bat over his knee or something like that if you're in the 19th century. You can just read about it. And so, um, but the more I read about it, the more my memory kind of takes over or my, uh, my imagination takes over rather. And that's what's kind of so exciting to me is, is just thinking about like what happened. Like when, uh, uh, you know, you can't hear uh, King Kelly's like thick Irish accent. You can, uh, you can read about it and you can think about like what it might have, uh, what it might have sounded like. Um, same thing goes, uh, goes with, uh, you know, him possibly, uh, you know, like trying to steal third from first or something. Like you imagine if Mike Trout did something like that, that would, that would make headlines all over the place and people would just get a kick out of that. It'd be so funny. And of course, some people would be upset. And uh, <laughs> back then, you have a lot to say about that. <laughs> uh, but anyways, like just, just incredible stuff. <laughs> Sorry guys. Whenever, uh, whenever, uh, Beckett talks, uh, you know, here's me talking. My uh, little co-pilot likes to put in his two cents also. <laughs> he thinks it's time for everybody to make noise. <laughs> but, um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I mean, like, could you imagine if Mike Trout or anybody went from first to third? Um, you know, I mean, that's that would have been like just the top, you know, crazy thing at a, you know, like Sports Center and everything. So, needless to say, um, whenever I come into these interesting stories, uh, and, and like I said, even just how the cards were made, I I feel compelled to tell you about it, and. Uh, I don't really know why. I feel like it's just something that I really want people to know about because it'll excite them and interest them. So, yeah, maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's all there is to it. So that's the first article. The second article that I'm writing about is about a project that I'm like really excited about, guys. Like, I'm working on a 19th century baseball custom project for myself, and as you can tell, Beckett's really excited about it too, <laughs> um, and. Uh, it's been something that I've not been able to get out of my head for about a month. And, uh, like sometimes I'll go to bed just thinking about it and, you know, it's just, it's, it's fun to be able to, to sometimes be consumed, uh, by something like that for a little bit of time, uh, because you know, you're just like super passionate about it and excited about how it's coming out. And, and so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, so hopefully, so, so yeah, yeah. So that, uh, that's going to be my second article. It's going to be showcasing this latest custom job, but it's also going to be used as a tool to hopefully educate everybody on what it is I'm doing. And because it had, like I said, it has 19th century baseball implications uh, for the hobby, at least. So um, as far as uh, you know, I'm be looking for those probably over the next few weeks, uh, you know, just, <laughs> you know, time is, is few and far between. Um, when it comes to be able to doing, uh, this sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, as you can tell, like even with this podcast, I'm trying to like find little bits of time that I can just come out and communicate with you all and that sort of thing. So, uh, so it's kind of the same thing when it comes to these projects. So, um, as far as custom projects for others, um, I had a, a former baseball player, Brian Augustine. Um, he's got a 2009 Bowman baseball card, uh, reach out to me and he wanted me to, uh, create a couple of booklets uh, for him. So he sent over a bunch of uh, fun game use things to be able to, uh, you know, include into these booklets I'm doing. So, um, so those will be finished uh, probably fall goes well this week. And if not, the next. Um, and also I just got in yesterday, somebody 
uh, that sent me a uh, cut signature of Thomas Jefferson. So I'm going to be doing a Thomas Jefferson uh, cut signature custom. So obviously, I mean, that's like really, that's really exciting stuff to me when it comes to uh, like real old uh, Americana, like American history signatures like George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. Like, you know, signatures are from like, uh, you know, not just uh, necessarily the, 19th century, but sometimes the 18th century. So we're talking about like 1700s. I mean, that's crazy. You know, it's, it's so, so neat. But, uh, and um, yeah, like I'm just excited to be able to, to put that up, uh, put that out there. So um, as far as writing goes, we've gone over that. As far as customs go, um, I've gone over all that. And now as far as actually collecting goes, like, um, you know, there's a couple of things I want to bring up. So first of all, the number one thing that's been kind of big-ish, I guess, is um, I was able to uh, really kind of sit down and think what I wanted to do with my Jose Canseco collection. Like, I am a big, massive fan of his cards, but not every card, but just like a, a small group of them. And I will continue to pursue the cards of his that I love. But, you know, if you remember a couple years ago, which, by the way, I think it was like, huh, that's interesting. I think it's actually literally two years to the day that I'm talking right now to you when I decide to sell out of my Conseco collection. So, uh, huh, okay, happy two-year anniversary to me, I guess, of selling out. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so whenever I decided to come back to it, um, one of the things I wanted to do was... Uh, assemble like a complete base and base insert run. I got close. I got to like 99% or something like that. And there are a few that are missing. Put them in binders and I was like happy that you'll have them. But you know, one thing I noticed is I have this cubby of cards and this box of cards and this suitcase of cards, like all three of these that I am constantly in. I'm constantly looking through and it brings me tremendous joy to just be able to look through these cards. And to look at them. The one thing I noticed is those binders of base and base inserts, I never looked at them. They just sat on the shelf. And, you know, for me personally, I would rather my money go to cards that I love, 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 and not cards that just sit. And so uh, I decided to sell them. So I had 950 uh, unique Jose Canseco cards, or base cards and base inserts. I sold. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> I am right now, as I'm talking to you, I have a total of probably 250 or so Jose Canseco cards. I may never get above 300 cards in my whole life of Canseco or 400, or I might decide tomorrow to, you know, redo a base, base insert run or something. I just don't know. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> anyway, so it's kind of a strange thing because I don't have like this collection where there's like a 1986 Topps traded uh, Canseco or 1983 uh, Frisk Madison Muskies Canseco card. I've always had those, but now it's just the cards I really, really, really love. It's the uh, the 96 Select uh, Certified Mirror Gold. It's the 90 Donners Aqueous, the 88 Topps Cloth, the 89 Leaf and Donners Blue Chips, uh, the 92 Ace Novelty Prototypes, um, the 98 Donner's Crusade Red, like the heavy hitters. 
the you know I've got a one of one bat knob and a one of one barrel and another out of five barrel and got some super fractors. So I've got these cards I really really love and I'm like super hyped about them, but no fluff, like literally no fluff. So part of what I wanted to do on this podcast was to talk about eliminating the fluff and reevaluating it. So I think as we are collectors, as we go forward. And we are offered new things and new things get hot and new things uh, get cold and new things start catching our eye and old things start, you know, withering away, you know, in our, in our interests. And uh, we always have to constantly reevaluate what we want to do. So, um, you know, for me personally, like my collection from year to year looks vastly different uh, each time um, just because my tastes change or because uh, when it comes to the actual video and stuff, maybe the video, <laughs> the actual uh, uh, cards I'm going through is, uh, you know, I, I really buy a lot to see if things click. And so, <laughs> you okay there, kiddo? What are you doing? What are you doing? Anyway, so, uh, you know, so when I buy some cards, sometimes it's just to see if it clicks, if I love it. Now, sometimes I just won't like certain cards I buy. They look better on screen, if that makes sense. I don't know if that kind of resonates with anybody out there, but I've done that a number of times. I've uh, done that with some cards where I loved them. So I bought them, had them, decided I didn't like them, sold them, saw them again and thought, huh, these are nice. Bring them back to my collection. Uh, and think, no, nah, maybe not. <laughs> and, uh, do the same thing over again and, and bring them back. And so like my tastes change constantly. And if you don't know that about me, then you don't know me, I guess. But, uh, you know, I will constantly buy and sell and, you know, that 52 tops manual that I got from the trout, for instance, um, you know, people, uh, saw that I posted it for sale, which is not for sale now, by the way. Um, but, just to see, you know, what bites I had out there. And there are people that almost were like borderline upset. Like, you just got it. Why would you do this? <laughs> well, that's why I do, you know, just to kind of see what's out there. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the fun for me in collecting is the action, the hunt. And, uh, you know, so I sold uh, all of my wax box run, for instance. I had those for a couple of years. Um, I loved them, but, you know, I think I can think I'll love uh, some other things a whole lot more um, than the wax boxes. Of course, they're like super hot right now, apparently. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so that's kind of part of it for me is is constantly reevaluating um, what I have, what I don't want. Like I just went through last night uh, through my Consego cards and pulled out a few that, you know, probably didn't are not going to make the cut for me to uh, to keep just because I'm, I'm not in love with them. But at that same token, when I sold, it's kind of funny. This is like a classic Tanner move here, right? Is the Basin Basin insert run that I sold. Um, after I sold it, like immediately that day or the next day after, um, I found a small handful of them as like, man, I really wish I had that back. And I went online and I bought them. <laughs> so would it have been easier if I just kept them out in the first place? Well, yeah. But uh, you know how fun it is just getting cards back in the mail. It's, it's a blast. So, um, you know, a couple of them, in case you're wondering, uh, there's three that I think of off the top of my head. There was a 1995 leaf limited, uh, lumber company, 
I think is what it's called. And I apologize for that sound there on my phone. But um, it's numbered to 5,000. So it's not a rare card. But it's made of wood. And guys, it's like so cool. It's just a cool, cool card. Um, so I got that back uh, because I really like it. There's a 2000 uh, Pacific Gold Crown die cut vertical card that's got some amazing, amazing holographic foil work um, in the background. So I got that one. Um, and there's also another one. It's a uh, 1997 Stadium Club, uh, what's it called? Matrix or something. I'll, I'll put a video of it on Twitter at some point. I've showcased one time before. It's not a big card. But it is gorgeous. It's like, is jaw-droppingly drop-dead gorgeous of a card of a parallel. So I wanted to get it back. So I got it. Um, and so that's kind of what I do. I constantly reevaluate. I buy. I sell. I trade. And by the way, there's some trades. Like I had a couple like really big trades in the works. Um, I had like three big trades in the works actually. Um, only one of them worked out, <laughs> the, the lower trade. Um, the other two, they said, no, well, we don't want to do that, which is frustrating. But, you know, this, I'll take this kind of uh, opportunity to talk a little bit about trading also, by the way. So trading is a very, very good tool, especially when you're uh, approaching super collectors who do not want to move their cards. Now, a lot of times when you have a card, when they have a card that you want, um, you're going to have to move a lot of really good stuff. Uh, that's well in their favor to do anything. So I made offers and they just didn't click, <laughs> which is unfortunate. And so I've kind of decided to, you know, realize, okay, this, these deals are not going to happen probably ever. Um, so, you know, kind of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about when it comes to trading is, you know, don't get frustrated if things don't work out because you, you really kind of, as they say, you have to kiss a lot of frogs to get to a prince. Uh, that can be the same when it comes to trading baseball cards. Some people might not really be clicking with this. They might not understand, like, what's the big deal? You're trading cards. Well, when it comes to rare prototypes or uh, super rare 90s uh, cards or one-of-ones, it's a whole new ballgame. People simply don't want to give them up. And having my foot firmly planted both in, like, uh, vintage uh, like high-end, low-grade vintage and, um, you know, the rare 90s inserts and everything, there's there's a wild difference. Like, if you get a uh, T206 green cob, like that's, you know, outside of the big four that are virtually unattainable to anybody, that's like the number one card in the T206 set. That said, it's not unattainable because there's so many of them out there. And, yeah, I get it. It's, it's rare-ish. Like, it's not a... Uh, super easy card to come by. It's just not like impossible either. Now, when it comes to like a Donner's Crusade or an Aqueous, for instance, some of these cards may literally never show up again. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's almost easier to trade for vintage sometimes because the other person will know they'll be able to get it back. Uh, getting an Aqueous, for instance, if you trade that, uh, you may never get it back again. Uh, and, you know, same thing with like, uh, uh, you know, the 96 mirror gold or, you know, some of these other cards, uh, it's a lot easier to part with a card. If you know that you'll be able to get one back down the road. Um, you can say that for 52 tops mantle, you can say that for a cracker Jack, uh, shows Joe Jackson or Ty Cobb or anything like that, because, uh, there are 
those out there. Now, it's certainly one thing to realize, okay, I may never get those because, again, because they're so expensive, uh, but certainly not because of rarity, because they're out there. Um, the rarest one out of those that I talked about was the Shoeless Joe Jackson. And, you know, even it pops up from time to time. Uh, there's, I think, I don't remember. I, th I thought there was like a hundred or so, maybe fewer than that in the uh, pop report. I could be wrong, but, um, anyway, so it's, it's, it's a, you know, massive card obviously, but not impossible. So, uh, yeah. So <laughs> back to trading though, sometimes it works. Sometimes it does not. The thing to keep in mind though, is to not get discouraged if things don't work out your way and just continue on, you know, there's other cards out there and, you know, don't get upset if you can't land what you want, uh, because guess what? There's always going to be cards out there that you want. And uh, that's the fun of the hobby. Like you're going to lose some, you know, you're going to lose some battles and that's okay. Um, but when you win them, that is when it's really, really, really rewarding. That's what's exciting is when you can actually win a card. And I'll give you an example. There's a, uh, 2020, uh, tops inception inception card. There's a, uh, a white one out of 20, there's an orange one out of 10, there's a blue one out of five and a black one out of one. And for Conseco, for example. And, uh, you know, I guys, I just don't really get into um, cards that are just like plain signatures nowadays. I just don't do it. Like there's so many Conseco autographs out there, not really a big deal to me, unless it's like a rare card or something. I made an exception for Inception though. Uh, the orange, is amazing looking it's incredible so that's another way that I kind of you know chiseled out kind of what i want and i've uh, you know my my feelings have changed like i used to be like completely shut off from any of the newer parallels or just signatures and here tops comes around and creates this inception card that's bright orange it's loud it's beautiful it's awesome on card autograph out of 10 and so I picked one up and man, I love it. So there's cards like that that I do want to get. So, uh, you know, but that's, that's the thing. You don't have to uh, collect for anybody else. Just collect for yourself. Just be, uh, uh, be the person that is okay with getting rid of some things from time to time and changing direction. That's what happens. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of people this last week reach out to me actually and ask me, you know, what are your thoughts? Like, how can I, um, you know, change my direction in, in uh, you know, collecting. And I, I sense that some of these folks, um, they're super collectors, that what happens is they feel like there's this mm, sense of responsibility or maybe their pride is wrapped up in their collection. So part of it, when it comes to, uh, you know, kind of quitting the super collecting game is to really, it's really all about humbling yourself when it comes down to it, you know, just being, uh, you know, being humble about it and saying, you know what, my identity should not be wrapped up into this. Uh, you know, I need to walk away. Uh, this is, you know, consuming me way too much and I need to just, uh, you know, change, you know, switch gears. And so I'm trying to be helpful to people out there that are in this situation to let you know, Hey, look, I've been on that side before. Um, I'm over here now collecting is so much more fun this way. Uh, when you don't have this uh, sense of duty or responsibility, that's not fun, guys. Like it's not, 
it's not fun to stay on the, the treadmill, uh, so to speak, when it comes to collecting. Collecting is supposed to be a hobby and an outlet and a, a thing that you're really happy about being able to do. But when it comes to be stressful and stuff, um, that's that's maybe a good indicator that maybe you should you know step away or change direction. And, and let me let me tell you guys, like you're not going to disappoint people. Uh, well, okay, I think I disappointed some people when I walked away, but. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, and uh, it, it works out for the best of the end. So, um, <laughs> Beckett apparently needs uh, needs some more interaction here with me. <laughs> I don't know if y'all hear this. I don't know how much comes uh, through the through the recording, but anyways, it looks like he's uh, he's uh, ready to play with Daddy here. So I'm gonna let you all go. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Um, I hope y'all have a fantastic weekend.